Extraordinaires, how are you? <sighs> Feeling like our, our shine's starting to be polished up again? Got a bit dusty there for a while. Perhaps we're still a bit dusty. Hopefully today's episode can, uh, can help with that, particularly if you're a parent. Stay tuned. I want to say that it's never been... It's a note to myself too. I want to remind myself <laughs> that there's never been a more important time to maintain the habits of happy, purposeful people. We need to seek out the relationships and the conversations that inspire us and give us the space to express ourselves and feel supported. And of course, to remind us that we are all extraordinaires. We are all shiny underneath whatever's going on right now. But if your hands and your heart are maybe a little idle and you're finding yourself at the end that is loose, then don't forget that being of service can really be the spark that can help remind you. Helping others not only makes you feel like a superhero, but more importantly, it completely transforms the state of the people who you're making the effort for. Everyone, everyone, everyone deserves to feel like they matter. You, me, I, we, us, we all matter. And lots of people out there need help right now. And maybe you are just the superhero that can deliver it. Just a thought. We here at Extraordinaires are trying to deliver some help in our own way. And as I said, if you're a parent, then this episode has been created especially with you in mind. Maybe you are in need of support still. Maybe you really need some advice, some fresh ideas with anything that falls under that massive umbrella that is parenting. We have you. I have a, a superhero on the line right now that uh, is here just to share some, some superhero advice. But before I introduce the, the doctor slash professor slash therapist slash author slash mother of two, yes, she is all the things, I want to just say, dear, dear parents, I have so much respect and admiration for you when researching guests to come on and help answer the very many questions that have arisen uh, during this COVID catastrophe. One of the most important experts I was trying to find was someone who could come in and deliver some good advice, some tools, maybe some actual magic tricks to help relieve some of the pressure that my friends who are parents, uh, who they've been experiencing, uh, literally tearing their hair out. For more than a month, I've found it really almost impossible to find a child behavioral, uh, behavioral expert or a therapist who had kids because I wanted the expert to have kids. Um, I haven't found anyone who was going to say yes. They all said no, and I was connected to quite many. Uh, because just like you, these parenting experts are all stretched way too thin. With all the kids at home, just getting through the day is like a, a full-time job, just for me, especially. I can't even imagine what it's like for you parents. And even if there was time, I was told by these experts that they would not feel comfortable coming on as a guest 
as an expert to teach other parents how to be better parents when they themselves felt like they were failing at it. So I just want you parents to know that you're not alone and we see you working hard day and night, doing your very, very best with what you have and what you're, uh, what's available to you right now to create good, kind, bright, grown-up human beings. So I just want to say hats off to all of you. We know what you're going through and thank you. Most of you have been thrown in the absolute deepest end now that you're being forced to be your kids' teachers. I mean, homeschooling your kids must be so difficult. You don't have sitters. You're trying desperately to hold down your full-time jobs and keep that smush off your shirt for the next Zoom meeting. You've got other kids, grown-up kids, well, not half-grown-up kids tugging at your clothes, bills to play. Uh, well, I wish that was easy. Bills to pay. You're probably in a some kind of fight with your partner over something and who the hell is going to make dinner tonight anyway. It's traumatic. I can only imagine. Now, your kids, to be sure then, are definitely going through some kind of trauma as well. What is this silly world they've been forced to be a part of? They're locked inside. They've got no friends. There's tension all around them and they can't even hug their grandmas. I mean, not to say the least that they do not absolutely do not want you to be their teacher. That's for certain. <laughs> that seems like a silly idea. They'd far sooner have that what's-her-name lady who's a bit mean than have you as their teacher. I promise you. I know that much. You might be finding that the older ones are completely lethargic and withdrawn, maybe just gaming the whole time I've heard. The younger ones are acting out for sure and nothing you do or say is right or helpful and all of you really just want this nightmare to end. Need I remind you? Well then, please don't forget that being a superhero takes work and that's what you're doing. My guest today would know all about being a superhero because she may as well be one. Her name is Dr. Jodie Mullen and she is a doctor, a teacher, a professor, a licensed medical health advisor. The letters after her name just go, keep going on and on. She teaches mental health counseling at one of the top 20 universities in the country. And her main jam is helping kids and adults with a technique called play therapy. She actually wrote a book. She's written a few, but one of the books is called Raising Freakishly Well-Behaved Kids, 20 Principles for Becoming the Parent Your Child Needs. She sounds perfect, right? Above all, even from our first phone call a few years ago, I can tell you that she's a good woman. She's warm, she's smart, she's funny, and she cares. She cares deeply about you and your relationship with yourself and your partner and your kids. She's been doing counseling for 25 years, and I'm really so happy that our paths crossed and that she agreed to come share some of her innate wisdom with us. Please welcome Dr. Extraordinaire Jodie Mullen. Crowd goes wild. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks so um, much for being here. Well, you're welcome. I'm super happy to be here. What's been going on for you at home? Do you find that you're busier than ever at the moment with calls and SOSs? <laughs> <laughs> yes, all of the above. Um, I, I think um, that both personally and professionally, right? Like, so those of us who are professional helpers tend to be helpers when we're not on the clock too. Yeah. And so uh, between my students, um, my, so I teach um, graduate school. So my master's level students, my, uh, my patients and my own friends, family, children, um, all the 
all of that and community, I would say yeah. too. Um, it, it, it's um, it's taxing on a system, but it's also like super rewarding because it's my course and it's what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah, totally. And you've got your uh, older daughter, you were telling me earlier, who's um, come back mm-hmm. home, right? Come back to the nest. Yes. So she was away at college and then, and now she's home. And so we had worked hard to adjust to her being away at college. Mm. And now we're working hard to (laughs) adjust to her being home. And, um, and, you know, just parenting a 20, a 20 year old who's used to not living at home anymore. Yeah. Right. And then you have a 16 year old son Mm-hmm. What, what's been the struggles that you find that you have found and you're an expert in this but what have you been finding that's come up that you're even sharing with your community or your students or your or your clients what's going on for you oh for me personally I think um is I'm not used to having a low energy level mm. and I think that um especially communicating via um, via Zoom or any other kind of technology, and that two-dimensional communication takes so you know takes so much more effort because you have to, as um, just as a human being, we rely so much on the feel of like the environment and the room and the people that we're with, but also on facial expressions and body yeah. language, and it, it's a, you have to strain to be able to pick up on that more. So. So, cer- so certainly that, and then just realizing the energy that you do get from being around other people, yeah. like in the same space. Um, I think that that can, that can be pretty draining and, you know, being like kind of doing the same routine, if it's even a routine mm-hmm. every day. Right, right. I've been actually liking the routine. I think I've discovered mm-hmm. that for my brain, I've found mm-hmm. this uh I have never had a routine before, you know, except for small bits in the morning. But I've actually been, for me, it's been good for me in that regard. It's funny, isn't it, right? We're all juggling different things. Yeah, it's it's the it's the change. That's the hard part, right? It's the yeah. change. It's a transition. It's something different than um, whatever you were doing. So change is always difficult for everybody. And it and and it and I think the other piece of it is the abruptness of it. Right. Like you didn't get to ease into it. It was abrupt. Kids aren't good at change. Is that right? It make, it freaks them out? It, <laughs> that's a perfect way to say it. Yeah, it, real, it really does. Children, I think humans, sure. um, but more so children, um, really thrive on consistency uh-huh. and stability. Right. That that makes them feel safe and able to know, like we do better when we know what to expect. Yeah. And so children really rely on that and they do you know, explaining COVID to a child is difficult enough, but also that you can't expect anything to be the way that it was. Ever again, mm-hmm. even. Mm-hmm. Wowzers. Yes. So if you think about it, it's like their foundation is, is that stability and consistency. So mm-hmm. we're all missing that right now. So it's just this rocky foundation. And even if they're not old enough to speak, would you agree that even the energy, they're aware of it, they know that no matter what age they are, that it's not like it was and it's trepidatious at times? Oh, 100%. So yeah. even children who don't have expressive language who aren't able to um, articulate, well, if they have expressive language and can talk to you, but that doesn't still mean developmentally that they could articulate sure. what this experience 
is like for them, right? But they are like these masters of picking up on nonverbals, right? On your facial expressions, your body language, your tone of voice. That's how they learn language. That's how they learn everything. And so for them, yeah, they are completely aware that something is up and it doesn't feel right. And then there's all that... then things have changed. So there's all that inconsistency and instability and they're feeling that as well. So you've written a bunch of books. We're going to get to play therapy, but that just reminded me, you also wrote a book on grief and this, there must be a certain amount of grief that's going on for the, for the parents. Right. And so what's your advice for parents to, to allay their, their child's fears that this is going on? What's some good advice you could share for parents behavior or communication or honesty with their kids? Okay, so firstly, like one definition of grief is it's an end in a, in a pattern, right? So an end in any kind of pattern that we've become used to. So we're grieving as parents. And I, I think this is so important. And you mentioned it in um, your opening too, is that we can be superheroes, but we're also, su- one of the things about superheroes is they all have a fatal flaw, right? And so- Is this their kryptonite, so, COVID kryptonite? Yeah. So, <laughs> so regardless of what- but that is, as parents, we are all flawed, completely imperfect. I, I can be an expert on um, working with children through mental health and development and I, you know, writing a parenting book, but I still make mistakes with my children each and every day and have since the beginning of being a parent, mm-hmm. right? Like every single day I make a mistake with them. And so first, I think that that is important that we just be okay with that and accepting of that, that none of us are perfect and particularly as parents and well, and none of us had to deal with a, being a parent in a pandemic before. Right. So there's no textbook on this. There's no guidelines. We're making, literally making it up as we go along. Yeah. So um, I think starting from that place is really important. And so we're grieving, we're grieving our routine, we're grieving not being able to be connected to the people um, in the same way that we were, um, that were part of our everyday lives, those kind of things. So just recognizing that our children are experiencing loss too, and even though it might not be the losses that were you, that are typical, like a pet death or loss of a, uh, well, it uh, could be loss of a job actually too, right. that all the that all these stressors are all losses and that um, that the best things that we can do is weave in any kinds of stability and consistency. So making mm-hmm. a quarantine routine is a, is a great idea, right? Is to have something that is stable and consistent, not just for your kids, but for you. So if you decide like, you know what, I'm going to start every day during pandemic with a cup of tea, that's going to be my new thing, then great, mm-hmm. you know? And, and what could what could you develop or help develop in your child? So that sometimes that means you taking the leadership role and saying like this is going to be part of your quarantine routine, mm. but also giving them some choice or at least the illusion of choice. It could be either A or B. You mm-hmm. can either until this time or till this time, yep. um, but you can't sleep until four in the afternoon. <laughs> What do you mean? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I wish I was exaggerating, but I'm not. <laughs> I didn't yeah. just like pull that example out of the air. That's right. literally an example. <laughs> oh, oh, right. Yeah. You're a 16 year old as uh, playing a lot of games. And uh, my friends with older kids in year 12 and stuff, I've heard they're just, they've lost any drive. 
lost any yeah. forward momentum. It just like dead in the water. Yeah. Amazing. Well, and you get to, yeah, you get to see how much um, the routine of school and yeah. being around their friends uh, factors in. And when that is pulled away from them, that, that, that they do lose that. The other thing I think uh, particularly with that age group is their peers are so important to their development, mm. uh, to their brain development, to their physical development, you know, to all aspects of their development. Yeah. And so it makes sense that their energy kind of went yeah. um, during this time. I wanted to ask you, I'm a big advocate for communication and honesty and uh, I, I adore my parents more than life itself but sometimes I felt like there were things that were kept from me because I thought they because they thought they were doing better by me to keep it and so if I was ever if we were ever going to be um, parents I would you know take the stand to want to explain and express and be truthful about everything do you think that's a good thing to be doing right now to try and explain to your kids who are cognitive what's going on and why mum and dad might be in the kitchen yeah <laughs> so I think it has to be done on a developmental level right yeah. so trying to explain a pandemic to a three-year-old uh, yeah. no right <laughs> so <laughs> you know um so putting it into their terms um, every parent is an expert on their own child. So it doesn't matter how much alphabet soup I have after my name. I'm not an expert on your child. Alphabet You're this. Yes. Uh, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, so uh, like if I know that my three-year-old would understand that, um, that uh, there's um, some, something that, every, that people can get sick by and to keep us safe, we're staying at home. That means mommy and daddy are working from home or that, you know, what, whatever that may be, that's where I, that's where I want to go. If I think that that would stress my three-year-old out um, or that that's not the exact terminology that I should be using with them, then, then I do, then I need to just scale it to them. I'm going to speak very differently to a three-year-old than I am a nine-year-old than a 16-year-old. Yeah. So, so that kind of knowledge. Um, I also think once they have connection to social media, it's like um, if you don't talk to them about this, um, besides hearing from their friends, you know, is that they're going to be picking up on things anyway. And sure. so in, in some ways that might break down the trust between parent and child and it might get in the way of the relationship because you're not talking about it. Mm. Yeah. Gosh. There's so many pitfalls. You have to be so aware, right? Right. Yeah. There's no instruction. That's why, so that's why you exist. <laughs> that, that's why it's so easy to be fl- like flawed at this because that's why you make a mistake every day be- because yeah. there isn't. And, and, I, and I think also, too, if you have um, more than one child, there's something, you know, there's things that, you know, uh, I can do with my 16-year-old son or ways that I can speak to him about certain things that did not work with my daughter when she was the same age oh, right. and would not work with her now. Got it. Yeah. It's a, it's a human being, by human being basis, isn't it? Yeah. It's very individualistic. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk to you about this thing that you do called play therapy. I, I Googled it cause I didn't know. And what mm-hmm. I loved about it is that Google in all its genius tells me that play therapy is best prescribed uh, during times of natural disaster, problems at home, tension in the household, problems with schoolwork, traumatic events, anxiety, depression, grief, ADHD, learning of disabilities. I mean, it's all the things that kids and adults right now are are going through, right? What is it? It sounds interesting. 
It, it, oh, it is interesting. Um, so I love the opportunity to talk about it. So in its, so in its simplest form, um, people who are trained to do play therapy, you have to be a mental health professional. There's a little caveat to that that I'll talk about in a second. Right. You have to be um, a trained mental health professional to do play therapy. And what all of us, regardless of what kind of approach to play therapy um, we use, what we all have in common is that we understand play as a language. Mm. And so um, where typically in counseling and therapy, people are talking um, in play and, and they do talk in play therapy, but we're going to add in this other um, opportunity for communication called play. And the cool thing about that is that all child mammals play. <laughs> so um, play is a universal language. And so regardless of a child's ability to um, speak expressively, so if they're really young, we, we can still see them in therapy. Or if they can't get around like adult concepts, it, it doesn't get in, it doesn't get in the way. And so you're literally putting a child on the floor with blocks or dolls or something and watching the behavior of how they interact with it to reveal their emotional truth? Yes. Um, yes. So it, it's, um, and honestly, um, if you've watched even a, a four-legged child um, play, you already, you know things about them. I have them. one on you my know. lap right now. <laughs> right? So... <laughs> For example, right now, your four-legged one is very comfortable and at peace. Like, yes. you know that because of the way that they're behaving and interacting. And, and so um, as a play therapist, that's part of what I'm paying attention to. I'm paying attention to, obviously, anything that the child is communicating verbally and saying to me. But I'm also and paying attention to their facial expressions, their body language, how they're breathing, and to what they're playing with and how they're playing with it. So all of that helps create this, this story about what's, what's their processing on the inside. Can adults do this? <laughs> yes, actually. So there are, um, it's very difficult for me. Uh, I do work with adults too as a clinician um, and adolescents. It's really difficult for me when you speak the language of play to not weave it into your work with adults and, uh, and with adolescents. And I would even say in my classroom yeah. with my graduate students. How, how, can you give me an example? Uh, yes. Great. So because play is um, so often symbolically and a metaphor is that um, in just in terms of using it with my students, I might ask them to, I just did this the other day because I'm teaching all virtually now. Right. Yeah. So, at the end of class, I was asking, you know, just wanted to check in with them about how do you guys feel like class went today? But I don't want you to tell me with your words. I want you to find a thing. Just find a thing, anything that's in your like space right now and use that to communicate how you're feeling, how you're doing right now at the end of class. So it's just something like where you don't need you, words get almost get in the way of that. And are you. Do the kids know, do your students know that you're doing that with them? Do they know that the tools you're using are they on therapy? Are they on to you? <laughs> um, but I think they like it. <laughs> so, I mean, some it's of play. them. play. How could they not like it? 
Exactly. And, and like graduate school is so serious. And so I think um, that the, it creates um, a safer learning environment. So I think there's that part. It also connects them to each other um, in different ways, because it's not the self that they usually show in a graduate class. And, and one, one thing that I sometimes do with my students, which um, sometimes falls under the greater umbrella of play therapy is I'll read them a children's book. Yes. Um, so like, for instance, um, before they do any of their practice as counselors and they're all super anxious and worried that they're going to mess up and that kind of thing. And they're just practicing with each other in class. There's a children's book called Everyone Poops. And I read them that book just because it's like, nope everybody's we're all in the same boat here you know we're all going to make mistakes we're we're all going to stammer and stutter over our words we're all going to say the wrong things sometimes everyone does it so just to sort of like get them in the mood um and um some you know sometimes students have commented that the favorite part of class is when I read them children's books so I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of a parent, a, a, a partnership at home. They've got one or two kids and they're trying to implement some of your ideas. What okay. is there something I know that you have to, you can't teach it. I know you were saying you have to have like alphabet soup after you're named. <laughs> well, that, the caveat to that is, um, to, is that um, there is a form of play therapy called child-centered play therapy. Okay, you can Google and that, can you? Child-centered you play can- therapy? A hundred percent. You could Google it. And now I'm going to give you the other like fancy schmancy name for we'll uh, add all it. This stuff on the, uh, on the YouTube comments. I'll give you some links and stuff. Yeah. So, um, so that one, the kind of play therapy that I might train my graduate students in and, um, is, could be mm-hmm. one approach is child centered play therapy. Yeah. But um, in the sixties, not the 1960s, um, Bernard and Louise Gurney developed uh, what's called filial therapy. And it's just a, filial is just another name for family. Uh-huh, yeah. but, but filial therapy is where you literally teach the method of child-centered play therapy to parents <gasps> to use with their own children. Oh. And what the research found out is that's like the most effective form of play therapy, which makes total sense yeah. because... Um, you're in your child's life forever. If I'm your child's play therapist, I get them a half hour, 45 minutes a week. What, you know, um, I don't have that same impact on them. And it's so relationally based that um, the real the real magic happens when the parents um, can learn those skills themselves yeah. and then bring it home to their children. And you can Google that too. I'm sure YouTube has a bunch of like people like yeah. helping you learn this stuff. Oh, that's really helpful. Yeah. I like that very much. And let me ask yeah. you then, what is there, what are the red flags that parents should be keeping their eyes out for with their kids? And when, what are the triggers that they should go, oh, we need some play therapy? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so this might not be surprising given the nature of our conversation already is that play therapy is good regardless. Your kid doesn't need <laughs> a red flag. Uh, no, um, no. It's yeah, always a good time to play. Okay, copy that. Yeah, it's always a good time to play. Play is always healing. Even if you're terrible at it, if you try to engage in it at all, it's healing for you and anybody else you're playing with. Um, The other piece of that is is that um, that it is so relationally based, so it's bringing you and your child closer together. Uh, One of the most important parts about it is that it's 
that that time is just for you and your kid. Mm -hmm. And I know that that's like a really hard time for parents in general, um, but it might be a little bit easier now to, because we're all home-based, is to be able to just carve out a, a certain amount of time, never more than a half an hour. Doesn't matter how old your kid is. That's that you don't want more than that time to be just super, super focused on that. Why? But that means, uh, well, um, because it's just too much time to be that intensely yeah. um, engaged with somebody. Right. So, but you really have to be like, there's no other person on the planet besides you and your kid at that time. Gotcha. So that means like, if you have um, like a, a watch on that gives you notifications, take the watch off, yeah. you know, like nothing. Um, so you're completely attuned to them and it has to be their agenda. So what is it that they want to play and how do they want to play it? If they want to cheat, you let them cheat. You, it's not time. I think we're socialized really as adults, particularly here in, in the U.S., to always be teaching our ch children things that we always have to be like correcting them and teaching them. And I think one of the things we can reflect on as adults is what it feels like to be corrected. Oh, yeah, <laughs> totally. I mean, I do it to my husband. My husband and I have these conversations that we're trying to come to an agreement where <laughs> it's just it will it's a killer. It is. So if you could, it's, um, and so what's so beautiful about play therapy, um, whether it's like a professional doing it or it's filial therapy is you don't have to do that. You're off the hook. You do not have to teach your child anything. You just have to be, and it's so much more important just being than what, like what it is you're saying or what it is you're doing, just being there attuned to them. That's, that's like where um, the relationship can really flourish and their sense of self and safety and all that good stuff it, um, happens. And it's, it's really incredible. Mm. I, I think the one thing I would caution parents against is that um, you may find out how your child feels about you and um, in the moment, and it's very in the moment and that that, that could throw you off. Um, and, and that might be hard to get that kind of feedback. Um, because they don't example. want to interact with you. You might find they're just more, is that what you're trying to say? Like you might get your feelings hurt because the kid's more interested in Barbie. Yeah. The, and that they, they don't invite you into their play. Right. So oh. that so there might be that, but they also sometimes, um, I'll give you an, uh, an example. Love when, example. When, Okay, so when my daughter Leah was four, um, this was something we used to do regularly. So every Saturday morning, we would go, we'd actually go to my clinic um, and use the therapeutic playroom there because I could, right? And so we would go You're Saturday morning. That's right. <laughs> and do a half hour of um, play therapy. And we both really uh, enjoyed this time together. And we made it, it was, it was a ritual, consistency, Routine. stability, that kind mm -hmm. of thing. And so um, we're playing and um, she wants to do a role play. So um, if a kid puts you in a role play, you let them take the lead. They decide who they're going to be and how, what it's going to look like. Yeah. So she tells me she's going to be the mama. And she wants me to be the kid. And she tells me, go over there and you play by yourself because I'm busy. Oh. And so I'm like, ooh, all right. I don't, well, that's not exactly what I want to hear. So then she says, um, ca call me, go mom, mom. So I said, mom, mom, I need you over here. And she said, I am working, 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 working. And, um, and I was like, I know, but I need you. <laughs> so I just kind of followed along with the role she gave me. And she said, 
I have to work now. You have to wait just like that. And I went like, (laughs) so it was crushing, but it also showed me something that she, how would she at four communicate that to me verbally? Like say like, listen, mom, we need to talk your a little bit of a workaholic and it's getting in the way of our relationship. There's no way she could have done that. But in her play, she communicated that to me exceptionally clearly. Wow. And then did yeah. that in turn, obviously, I mean, that's everyone wants a lesson. Everyone wants to know how to do better. You made me cry just saying that story. Like um, you, you were then given an opportunity to be able to change your interaction and, and your habit that you didn't even know maybe you were doing. No. Well, I had to learn that lesson several times, but yes. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, and, and I think that's just it. it it's like, um, it's reflective of your relationship. Like how a child plays out parenting is reflective yeah. of your relationship. Um, and so there can be things that, that you see that are hard to hear and hard to kind of like digest, but there are also like beautiful things and like, um, how they play certain, you know, they play certain things out. Um, that I think as parents, um, it's really hard for us to not like direct the child's play. Yeah. Um, also. And one of the things that works so well in filial therapy, if you're going to do that, is you really do need to let the child be in charge. And um, again, it's really freeing. It's it's an off the hook kind of thing. Um, one of the other things that I think uh, for me has been the most rewarding part of the work that um, I have done um, as a play therapist and even doing play therapy with my own kids is like the first sort of tenant of child-centered play therapy, this particular approach is that you have to accept the child exactly as they are. Yeah. And uh, right. And so one of the things that I certainly talk to my graduate students about and any parents that I'm training in, in filial therapy, um, but also just when I talk about parenting in general, yeah. is that you can't give away what you don't have. So if you don't accept yourself for who you are, then you can't do that for your child. Yes. Yeah. And um, I had to like uh, create magic around that in the beginning. So in the beginning, um, because I'm a recovering perfectionist, is I had to. (laughs) um, I had to really. Do you um, take pills for that? Where are they? I need some. No, no. It's it's much more difficult than taking a pill. Not that I'm Um, saying pills are the way to go. It was just me trying to be funny. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let's get that clear. (laughs) I think that was. You got that? Play therapy, play therapy. Um, as I actually would pretend that the threshold into the play therapy room was magical and that in that room I could be imperfect. Yes. And then I loved how that felt. And I was like, hey, let me give that a try outside. And that um, it's been life altering. And so I just feel so blessed um, to be able to do this work because yeah. it, it impacts you. And and that can be even with your own child is like, if you can honor your own imperfections, yeah. then you're modeling that for your child. You know, I love that because that's kind of what I was trying to get at when I was asking before about honesty with your children and being vulnerable. Yes. And I think that it's really hard to just go, I'm having trouble right now. But when you frame it in a play and put it into a new world, then mm-hmm. you being able to just let go <laughs> and let mm-hmm. go of all the effort is a uh, is a 
is a kind of a, a miracle in my mind to understand how that could possibly be done. Yeah. How you could create that space. That's such helpful advice, I, I would think. So, right. So in a sense, it's being able to, to say to your child, like, I know things are weird right now. I'm trying to figure them out too. Right. And even giving, extending an invitation. Do you have any ideas? Do you have any ideas? Oh, how we- I would love to hear that as a kid. Because <laughs> I bet you they do. They're like, actually, yes. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of them do. And I think the other thing is then is also um, like highlighting when you make a mistake. Yes. So, right. So if I, so if I make a mistake, I, um, I might say, you know, oh, mommy just made a mistake, you know, and a lot of times um, I know with the children I work with clinically, if I make a mistake in the playroom, if I call something by the wrong name, if I, um, not them by the wrong name, but if I call like something <laughs> in the by the wrong name or I trip over something which happens you know I'll say like oh I made a mistake I didn't even see that on the floor kids like get uh, they get like a, this um, crazy like pause response where they're like what we're not used to your kind admitting that they are wrong or make mistakes so oh um you can really be a different person to an uh, um to a child by just saying you're wrong and, and or making or made a mistake Admitting or you don't your vulnerability answer. yeah exactly that exactly. goes for all life we're doing that with right. all relationships mm-hmm. if you can learn that as a kid taught by your mentor or your parent that it is okay to make mistakes and it's this if you speak it immediately you'll get rid of years of therapy <laughs> you know <laughs> that's to, right to retrain yourself to stop pretending that you know all the answers because we don't yeah and we get and, so and messed up Right. And it's, it's super free to, to just be able to say, like, I totally do not know. Oh, let go. Letting go is a really hard thing mm-hmm. to do as an as an adult. Kids are so good yeah. at it. You. Uh, yeah. It's, yeah. And, and um, one of the things that's real, really amazing to see is when um, how early they can become not good at that. How early <laughs> how it's it's, you know, it's sort of like um, it's in their grown up now. Yeah. We're, we we're like social we socialize children to think they have to be perfect to think that they can't accept themselves yeah. that, that they can't make mistakes um and you know i would say like um just in my clinical experience that that's pretty much locked locked in you know by like second third grade so eight nine years old you can really see that that's when it happened for me yeah yeah, yeah. My little girl just shuddered when you said that. I was like, oh, uh, well, she she needs to know now that you're a grown up and and that it's all good and you can make mistakes. But it shouldn't and... take forty years. <laughs> or, oh, well, should it? It could. Should is a rude word. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yes, you. I. Uh, you should stop shooting on yourself, right? Yes, because because everybody poops. <laughs> yes, right. Because. It does take us such a long time to unlearn that because once we learn it, we keep telling ourselves that we keep telling ourselves that telling ourselves and creating an illusion, creating that illusion that that's the way it has to be, but that's not the way it has to be at all. And, and, and I think like you're saying how freeing. Freeing. Yeah. Yeah. All the effort, if you let it go, everything becomes easier. Mm-hmm. that's that's a real clog, uh, cog that that is a uh, it's a miracle when that when that when that shifts did yeah you, and more joyful and more joyful did mm-hmm. you um 
you got involved with this because you had an ex- what did you why <laughs> why why did you want to do this when did you know was it when you were nine you were like no <laughs> uh, so so yes and no so um I did not want to work with children. I um, so I'll do like a retro. I love so that you when did I not work with, you want to work with children. That's all you do. No, I I did not want to work with children. <laughs> I, um, Be careful they, what you I, don't wish for. Right, I didn't like them, and they didn't like me. Uh. So I think so that was a big part of it. But part of why I didn't like them, and certainly why they didn't like me was because I was doing all the things I was socialized to do with children, like try and teach them things and keep them, you know, all tight in, sure. in a particular way. And then when I learned um, play therapy, it literally, it like rocked my world. And I was like, oh, this, this I love. This is what I need to dedicate my, um, my life to. Because it loosened you up too, I'm sure. And so I think the, um, <laughs> but it's funny that you say that about like being little and knowing that is I, I, I say that I have been a counselor as far as I can tell since I'm about nine. And I literally remember uh, one of my little girlfriends in fourth grade being on the swings outside in the playground. And um, she asked me if she could tell me something and I promised I wouldn't tell anybody. And I, I said, yes. And she told me um, her parents were getting divorced and I th- I'm like, that's where it started, uh, you know? And so I just think that um, it's, you know, like I said earlier, it's in my course, it's my my wiring. So it, it, it comes very naturally to me, but the child part did not. Yeah, right. And you didn't tell anyone, did you? You were a very good friend. Oh, no, I did not. That's how you knew. Oh, my gosh. In another life, I would have loved to have done what what uh, what you're doing. Because I, I, I don't like kids either. <laughs> but, but I love to play. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the older I get and the more I, you know, uh, learn all these things, I see now my connection to, ply, to play and children. And, you know, I, I feel like in another 50 years I would definitely be following your footsteps. I totally, I totally get it and I, and I really admire it. You know, we're making so I, human beings. We're trying to make the best human beings. And play mm-hmm. should never leave. It should never leave your life. No, it's so, it is so important to all of us. And I think, you know, also there's those cultural pieces that tell us play is frivolous and, um, you know, it's not good for us, but it, it is it is so what we need, particularly right now. And I think if you're, you know, if you have difficulty, one of the things that I tell people is if you have difficulty like getting to that part of you that playful part of you go outside and skip just give it a whirl oh, you know trampoline trampoline is the answer for me sure. <laughs> yeah uh, the, the trampoline skipping or um spinning oh, you, yeah. you you can't really do those things without smiling just not mm-hmm. you know and so how important that is so especially if you're having difficulty connecting to your child because you don't feel playful and um I, that is something that, like I I want to be really clear I had to work really hard at is finding reconnecting to that playful part of myself yeah. and I would have to like go and and spin on the front lawn for a few minutes to to just get reconnect with that part yeah absolutely do you have time to, I know that this book, I'll obviously put that in the uh, YouTube comments as well, your 
your book, uh, Freakishly Well-Behaved Kids, 20 Principles for Becoming the Parent Your Child Needs. Do you do want to share a couple of the, the top three or so that maybe parents could maybe take home right now? Sorry, you made me cry, so I'm all snotty. <laughs> that's it. That's okay. I accept that about <laughs> I am here. Yeah, I would like to, but um, I can't help myself. I'm really curious what what is hitting your heart like that. Oh, I'm an empath. I um, pe- people only have to talk with passion, and I'm mm-hmm. like, oh my god, that's beautiful. You know, mm-hmm. you sharing that you had to work to find your joy and to be you felt that. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I love that well thank you thanks for letting me turn the table on you for a second of course <laughs> this is why she's um, good at what she does <laughs> I couldn't turn I can't turn it off also so just as a little um tidbit I'm going to share is that all of you who have friends with people who are psychologists social workers counselors marriage and family therapists whatever whatever is that when you say are you analyzing me right now and they're like no they are they are (laughs) exactly right you're never not on the therapy we can't turn it off (laughs) we might not act on it or do anything with it but we we can't turn it off so i'm I'm not even a therapist and my ears are pricked i'm like how can i help you can i can i help you fix it can i help you what can i say (laughs) That's perfect. I like, do you want um, a friend or a fix right now? You have to tell me so I can shush it and just listen. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and that's why I'll just pick up on that too, is like one of the things as a, a parent is oftentimes we think we have to rush in and problem yeah. solve for our kids. And um, so I would think, so that's one of the things that I think is, is super important, especially right now where it's, there's no way to solve so many pro- problems. Like we're all trying to, we're all in that sort of yeah. place. Um, so we don't like to see our kids frustrated. It comes from this like place of compassion and empathy, right? And what we see them struggling, we don't want them to struggle, whether it's struggling to get the the um, cap off a pen or struggling to like deal with something emotionally or relationally or interpersonally. We don't like to see our kids struggle. So we try to rush in and yeah. fix it for them. So what happens is they don't get an opportunity to experience that frustration and work through that themselves, but they also don't get to experience what's on the other side of frustration, which is pride and self-esteem and feeling good about that. Because if you think about something so simple as like getting the uh, lid off a jar, right? Nobody just reaches in and takes that jar from you and you see. (laughs) I could do it. Yeah. Unless you ask for help. And that's right. also huge too, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So waiting for your child to ask for help. Sometimes you have to like sit on your hands in order to do that. But um, it is, it is it's, super, it's super, super important. So, so the concepts in the book are all like that. They're all just real, these things that I think parents already know intuitively, but we get talked out of, uh-huh. right? So either because of like cultural norms or because somebody fed that you're not supposed to do that with your kid. Um, we get talked out of things that we intuitively and empathically know is are right for our children. And so there, you know, one of the principles is play with me, right? That you, that your kids need you to play with them. Mm-hmm. And even if you're terrible at it, they will teach you um, what you need to know. And if you think of your children 
and children in general, maybe people in general, as your teachers, like um, it just sort of opens up this whole new space for you and your and your connections and relationships. Yeah. And so that starts with your own kids is what can they teach you so much? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so what I would say certainly that, and one that we've already talked about is creating um, stability, even when things are really chaotic, you can still have something that's stable, you know, something that's stable with a little one might be like bedtime rituals and that kind of thing, but something that is stable with a teenager can be like what kind of music you listen to on the on the radio when you're together, or it can be that we're going to go for a quick walk after dinner, or whatever it whatever it is is right. like that. This is our routine, um, and you can create you can create that for them. So those become important uh, important pieces too. Mm-hmm. Um, accept acceptance like we talked about Mm -hmm. um accepting a child for who they are what is so cool is when when you can do that for you and then you can do it for your child is your child does it back to you right it must be wonderful Mm -hmm. such a a connection yeah because you know your child isn't going to like they that they I don't know. Now I might cry. It's like the, the best feeling in the world is that I, I love you no matter what. And so if you can, and that has to do with acceptance and not just, and not just um, feeling that, but being able to communicate that in all different kinds of ways. And that means like if your child cheats at a game, I'll go back to this. If you're playing a board game and your child cheats, it, that's not personal. It's them wanting to feel successful. That's all that is. Right. Right. And so if you point out, you're like, you're going to do whatever it takes to feel successful (laughs) rather than say like, no, there's no such thing as that jump in checkers. You're cheating. Right. It's a totally different experience. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The words you use with others and the words you use with yourself are really super, super important. Mm -hmm. Uh, you also have a podcast. I, I, I Google stalked you a little bit and found out some wonderful things. There's some great um, resources you have on your integrativecounseling.us. You, uh, there's a, a bunch of really nice um, articles and resources for you on that website. You're the director of that company, right? You have offices around New York City. But you, could you help people direct them to counselors all around the country if they needed some assistance? So, um, so two things. So we're nowhere near New York City. <laughs> Got it. It's New York State. Is New York State. I yeah. did write that down. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Well, because I think when people think New York, they think New York City. Yeah, so we're it's, like, it's just New York. New if York? I was to, right, right. If I was to drive there and there was no traffic at all, it would still take me five, six hours. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah, Got it. So far from from New York City. Um, but there are like um. In terms of if you're looking for a play therapist, better than contacting um, us at Integrative Counseling Services would be the Association for Play Therapy has uh-huh. a website. Got it's it. just it's a number four pt.org and they will tell you who are the um, registered play therapists in your area. And that also goes for training as well. So okay. um, they have like a training calendar there too. One of the things that uh, 
you know, we have on, on our website there, um, we, do, you know, have a lot of self-study courses that are for professionals, but, uh, but we also have a, um, a couple courses in child development that are geared for parents. Um, and I think one of the things that does get in our way of parenting is having expectations that do not make any sense <laughs> um, related to the child's development. So I'll give you an example. We had um, a parent once call our practice looking for counseling for her son. She was very concerned about him. And when our intake counselor asked, like, well, what what are your worries? And, you know, typically we hear aggression, you know, they can't sleep, they're bedwetting. Like, those are the kind of things that we hear. She said, um, this mom said, um, he's he's not taking kindergarten seriously enough. All he wants to, to do is play. And we and we were like, Ugh, probably shouldn't <laughs> play therapy. <laughs> I don't know. We're gonna get this mom to buy in. Um, but that's but that's exactly what he should be doing at age five. Yeah. Is play, he's learning through play. Um, so there's things like that. But also, you know, another example would be how frustrated parents get with their um, pu- like their uh, adolescent um, children and um, kids who are going through puberty at like sleeping late and the amount of sleep they need. Yeah. And that's biological. They literally need that. Besides infancy, that's the time where you need the most sleep. So sometimes oh, it's just that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. No wonder. Uh, uh, so, so sometimes it's just that parents don't. Um, and where would they get them the knowledge about those kind of things? Another one that I think is just really important to know is about like activity level and four to eight is like the time where we have the most energy in our, in our lifetime, like physical energy. So that's why those kids that you'll be like, Oh, oh my um, but that's, that's exactly how they're supposed to be. I'm sorry that's if you have four and eight year olds at home right now. <laughs> running around like me. Oh my goodness, right? Yeah. That that would be a lot. Especially if you're trying to work from home too. So I think like it's a good deal to like and I think many of us are grateful and blessed if we can work from home right now. Yeah. But working from home with young children with it, I mean it's just super complicated yeah. and, and again, you know, I think we all ha- I, I think one of the lessons around this um is acceptance is that like we have to accept that you know one of the things I said to my students in doing the uh, vir- like teaching virtually is I said like um I expect that you're going to get interrupted I expect that I'm going to hear your two-leggeds and four-leggeds um yeah. and get to meet them and that you know there's going to be all sorts of things that happen that don't happen in the classroom because the classroom is this sort of contained environment and that's not how this is going anymore. So we have to be flexible about that because what's our alternative? There isn't one. And so no. it's, it's all in. We're all going to make mistakes and we're all superheroes underneath. I, I, mm-hmm. I love that. Um, if you oh, – there's so many things that I still want to talk to you about. <laughs> we're going to run out of time here though. Uh, once you go on to um, integrative counselling, Dot us you'll also find Jody's podcast uh, you've got a great podcast called uh, raising freakishly well freakishly well-behaved kids there's some great topics on there about new mum or working mum uh, talking parenting with a stay-at-home dad I mean gosh being a single parent might right now all my hats are off to you 
navigating fertility changes. We could have a whole podcast on that, my goodness. I would take all the notes. Uh, mm. And what parents need to know about uh, just being a parent. Thank you so much for um, being here with us today. You're welcome. And it was being, a blast. It was such a blast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thanks so much for, for doing what you do and, you know, and just bringing play and lightness into not only children's lives but adults' lives. I totally I'm, – I'm still a child and uh, it's been part of the reason why my happiness is still so, so present. So I just um, – thanks for confirming a bunch of things and for helping our – audience out there hopefully there's some great advice that Jody gave oh thank you so much thank you for giving me this platform to talk about what I love um and and what I like uh, I guess I, I think that if we could even just do little pieces of uh you know of this like take those lessons that I learned um from play therapy that's why I wrote the the parenting book. That's why I wrote uh, Freakishly Well-Behaved Kids because I had this blessing of learning all these things as a play therapist. And I was trained as a play therapist before I had children. Yeah. And I don't know, I don't know how I would have, I really don't, I would have probably been really, really bad at parenting uh, without those lessons and how to, you know, how to sort of weave those in. Um, if we can even do that a little bit, if we can every once in a while own up to our mistake or um, accept our child, even if they're being kind of rotten and mouthy and, and recognize that their play and their way of expressing is communication, even a little bit, that's going to make a huge difference in our relationships. And a kid with a secure relationship with their parent is a kid who, who goes out there and creates more secure relationships and passes that on. I, I just like, you know, like that's the, the, that's the beauty and the magic and the superhero part of it all. And what's so possible to hone right now, never mm -hmm. a better opportunity than to practice all those things so you can all get out of this even better than when you came in. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yay, Jody. Can, <laughs> can we find you on Instagram someplace? You can find me on Instagram. Um, it's just Dr. Jody Mully, M-U-L-L-Y. And then, yeah, I'm sure if you wanted to, uh, she's not, she's not hard to find online. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for your advice and your time and your, your great conversation. Really nice to get to know you. Yeah, thank you. I'm very grateful for this. Thanks, Jody. You're welcome. Bye. Bye. <laughs> And I really appreciate your time too. If you have made it all the way through to the end of this podcast or to the end of the YouTube show, I love you. I'm going to say it out loud. Thank you so much for your support and for being here. Thank you for su subscribing if you did that to either the YouTube channel or to the actual podcast on iTunes or on Launchpad DM or anywhere you get your podcasts really. And also for liking or following uh, if you want to. There's Lots of little tidbits to be found on the Extraordinaires Podcast Instagram page or the Extraordinaires Podcast Facebook page. Thank you so much to Carmen and Camille for the music, to Brian Gudmanson for my lovely logo, to my husband for all the wonderful work he does with uh, focus pulling <laughs> and, uh, and the technical bits and pieces. And thanks so much, so much to you, uh, the viewers and the listeners. Thanks for being here. I'm really just so grateful for you. Take care, everyone. Please don't ever forget how extraordinary you are. I'll do everything in my power to help you remember. Reach out. If you're ever in question, I'll have a nice word for you. I promise. Take care.